Individually, they are a force to be reckoned with. But when they join together, they become Unplugged Radio. Prepare to be swept off your feet as Greg Person, the lover, takes the stage. But wait, what illusion is this? It is no trick. It is Jake Hutton, magician, for your viewing pleasure. Look out! The sensational sensei himself, Mike Rossi, warrior on display. Bow down and grovel at his feet as John Vanas, king, utters his decree. And welcome to a very special episode of Unplugged Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Jake. I'm one of your hosts, Greg. One of your hosts, John. And one of your hosts, Mike. Welcome, Mike. Hello, friends. What's going on? What's up, everybody? It's been forever. Right? Right? So cool. So let's start off what we've been up to in the hobby. Um, both of us, like all of us, have been to at least one GT since last time we recorded. So that's a thing. Yeah. Um, I went to Vanguard GT run by Mike Adkins and his amazing partner, Robin. Um, it was amazing. That was actually two weekends ago um, and had a great time. Walked away with a best sports prize, which is always flattering. Nice to know that even if I can only play the game mediocrely, people like me. <laughs> Excellent. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. I, I think it's just more telling that you you went to a Northeast GT with this army and you won. And then you went to two mid Atlantic GTs and did not win in the mid tables. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what does that tell you about the state of play? Baby seal town up here. Yeah, that's what you got. That's right. But then he had to go down there to become the best sport. So, <laughs> well, you know, I think exactly. Um, oh, how the tables have turned. Truthfully, I think the, the um, you know, Crossroads is pre Clash of Kings. Both of those events were post, and uh, I think it shows how much that newest Clash of Kings has just shaken up the meta. Granted, there's user error involved in some of those losses, and <laughs> all of those losses, let's be real. <laughs> um, but I think uh, I've been Blame using it on this... Dice, Jake. Right, right. Let's say the, um, I've been using the same list, the mummy list, and it really wants to face um, defense six walls and like groups of elementals those large infantry builds even like the siege breaker builds for ogres that's that's my bread and butter that's what i want to face and that's not what i faced at either of the last two gts <laughs> this no. is this is what a good sportsman jake is that i set him up for this opportunity on a cast with a bunch of northeast hosts to just rank on the northeast and to say that we're trash compared to the mid-atlantic and he <laughs> didn't even take it he, he was like, it. no, man, it was just the meta, and I made some silly mistake. <laughs> you know, Clash of Kings, out of your control. You guys are great. What a gentleman. <laughs> what a gentleman. Um, but the cool end of that is one of the, the, the prizes for, like, the best painted um, sports choice and best general at um, Vanguard was a playmat. 
Um, so I'm now the proud of a, owner of a sort of swampy forest playmat, which I have never owned one before. That's like the rubber mouse pad oh, yeah. mat. They're great. Those are great. Nice. And, yeah. and you've got new digs. You have a space right. for a table. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, so I can actually use it, unlike in my last place. <laughs> uh, my brother's coming over to try to get in some games before uh, Mountaineer in June. And so he's coming over tomorrow, actually, and we're going to break it out. Oh, I haven't told him about it. It's going to be awesome. Is your brother going to play in Mountaineer? He is. He, uh, he's he been looking to play in... I basically have been talking about GTs with him forever. Yeah. And um, he recently has worked really hard to try to free up some of his non-teacher related working ties so that he has free time and he's wanted to come to these for a while so he's finally pulled the plug because mountaineer is after school ends but before he starts like his summer work so it's okay. like perfect time um so i'm hoping to get him hooked and then immediately recruit him to my game club so we can have four people potentially for crossroads <laughs> <laughs> all right That'd be pretty awesome. Yep. Um, um, other than that, I, I left uh, Vanguard very excited. Got to meet a lot of cool people. Um, I want to give a particular shout out to uh, two people who I hadn't actually met before that I know. So they said they listen sometimes. Um, it is, uh, I know their Discord handles, but JJ Jones and Michelle Jones, um, they're on our Discord server. They're from the Southeast. Um, Michelle had a particularly cool anime themed um army which a couple of people were like jake what is this weeb stuff and so i was like yeah this is very cool this is this character right he transfers alley. into this yeah it was right for it was for me um so it was very really <laughs> exciting to you know meet new people and see an art new army uh and i left excited to work on a new project which i don't want to hype up too much just in case it fizzles but i started working on some basing and some converting and so it's a it's a good time it's a good time to be in the hobby it's going to be Attack on Titan themed army. Seven, <laughs> right? Seven giants and five guys running for their lives. All right. right? So I've got to rewrite my army. And... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm not a Attack on Titan fan. My wife's a huge fan. but uh, not... You've opened a can of worms, Rossi. They oh, shouldn't have done last, that. <laughs> that. That last season, I don't even know what's happening. Anyway, neither here nor there. It's, it's out there. Mm-hmm. First season is why I got into the show, and everything mm-hmm. after that is why I got out. Oh, seriously. <laughs> Anyway, what, what is attack? I'm not even Attack ask. on Don't. Titan is an anime <laughs> where humanity is all living behind a series of enormous walls that are concentric walls. So the center area is smaller, but behind other layers of walls. And these walls are like hundreds of miles in circumference. So like there's room for farmland and, you know, mountains and stuff. And it's to keep out Titans, which are essentially mindless giant zombies, but they look like people. And they eat people, and no one really knows where they came they're from. They're gigantic. Yeah, yeah, like like between twelve to sometimes fifty feet tall. Okay. Um, right. And the only way to kill them is hitting a specific spot on the back of their neck. And the show is about the last remnants of humanity trying to survive this once their first layer of wall has been broken down, right. forcing them to retreat backwards. Okay. It starts off very cool, very like post-apocalyptic almost like zombie series yeah. meets something where the you know unlike mo- many zombie series where you're like well zombies aren't that big with threats the numbers this is like one titan's a big deal right yeah and this um, is a netflix show or something it's an anime oh it's an anime gotcha yes yeah so crunchy roll kids 
Yep. Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll. It's also on the first season, I believe, is on Netflix. Same mm-hmm. with Hulu because it's like one of the biggest anime right now. Right. But it, it's ending, and the the way it's developed has really moved beyond that like horror humanity at the brink vibe to something different, which is not as much my jam. I I can only agree with you, but that is a personal preference. Don't let. Yep. I get why anyway. people like it. I get mm-hmm. it, and like you know, Jess has explained it to me, and it's a very cool. F- for people who like it for other reasons than me. Right? It's I I if we're going to talk animated shows, I'm going to pimp it again. You got to watch Vox Machina. People out there, watch Vox Machina. It was very funny, it was very good, it was very well done. It's the guys who do Critical Role. It's a D&D animated show on Yeah. Netflix or is it Hulu? Uh Netflix. <laughs> you said Netflix. that like no, no, no. Uh, Amazon Prime. I, Amazon, no, I Prime. To, okay. Amazon Prime. I have to look it up just to make sure. But I'm pretty sure it's on Prime. But yeah, it's that that is worth your time. It's also not safe for work, not safe for kids, not safe. Yeah. It's but it's great. But that's what I've been up to in the hobby, as well as a quick lesson on some anime. So if you were gonna go, if you were gonna put a pitch in for Vanguard, because I keep looking at Vanguard and going, I should go to Vanguard, and then I yeah. don't. I say right? that a lot too. Yeah. Right. So, like, what what is the biggest deal? What is the biggest draw? Um, well, if you are about the Hangout, I think you will be hard-pressed to find a better Hangout than Vanguard because, literally, you get there and you do not have to leave the venue. Mike brings all the food in from different caterers. There's food constantly there. People are sharing drinks constantly. Some people camp on, his, like, the property. Some people stay in rooms there. There's a lot of space. Um, and because of it's a smaller event... Unlike some of the events, like Crossroads is amazing, but it's huge, right? You can't hang out with everyone at Crossroads to a uh, high standard. At Vanguard, it's like, I think, capped at 34, maybe? Maybe a little bit more than that. Um, So because of that, you get to hang out with every single person if they're hanging out. Um, Other than that, uh, Adkins does an amazing job with the terrain. All of the terrain uh, boards are themed. And he has all of the different pieces kind of 3D printed to fit whatever the theme is. Sort of like Orktown, but there is no story behind each board. It's just sort of named after places around Mantic. Um, other than that, it's just sort of what the I think the Mid-Atlantic does very well, which is a very well-run, tight event. But I think that the Hangout and the amount of like thought that goes into the side stuff that people could want is amazing. So, like, you know breakfast is served and you have your choices between literally almost any beverage you can think of including energy drinks water um soda diet soda seltzer waters coffee hot tea and that's provided throughout the whole day all as part of the ticket price right so um, he's i mean he really is just hosting a bunch of friends over his house yeah it has if they're not vibe. friends at the beginning they're friends at the end exactly <laughs> yeah see that's hot man um yeah. and you know the yeah, I don't know. That that's I think the biggest pitch for it. Everything else he does well. His paint scoring is very tight because you know Adkins is a very meticulous painter who puts a lot of thought into how he wants to score it. Right. He's also meticulous about everything. I right. Let's be honest, right? So everything about him is is well run and tight. So it sell it last. This last one sold out within the week it was posted, and the the rooms sold out within the day they were posted. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Totally. So it's one of those where if you ever debate going. You know, you gotta you go. want to go. Because Don't debate long. Yeah. yeah. Usually right. the, yeah. like, I would say 80% are repeaters, and then the last 20% are people who are debate and getting quick enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't hype it enough. I think it's the best event in my region. If you're looking for 
a hangout with a smaller size crowd. Um, there's other events that are better at doing the really big prestigious event, but Adkins keeps that vibe of like a hangout, even though you have really tight competition for the top spots. And also his top trophy is a giant shield that has a, the Vanguard symbol on it, which is very cool. Like a giant metal shield. Pretty and awesome. Ray Shields won it, which is perfect. Oh yeah, congratulations, Ray. He added it right? to the pile of shields, for which <laughs> he is named. That's right. But what about you guys? What have you been up to in the hobby? You, Greg. Well, uh, yeah, obviously I also went to a GT uh, uh, that John ran, the Unplugged GT. Mike was there. Uh, we're going to talk about that more uh, when we get into our main topic. So aside from that, um, we've been really uh, diving back in to some hobby with my ogres because I'm planning to bring the ogres to the next event, which is the Orktown GT coming up in June. So I, first of all, I wanted to paint a crocodile wrangler because one, it's easy. It's just one, you know, cavalry model Two, I have a great, uh, classic squig hopper to use to represent it. And three, it's pretty darn good in the game. So I painted that up, which was nice and quick with contrast. And then one of the things about Orktown for those of you who are not familiar, is that they like to run the largest point size event in the region. So they decided on 2,600 points this year. And Woo! I've only been to Orktown one time in the past. I think it's only ran twice because then COVID hit. Yeah, COVID hit. Right? Yep. Twice, maybe three times. Yep, twice. Um, okay, twice. So this is the third. Uh, and the first time I went, I brought Ork Allies because it's Orktown. You got to do that, uh, and now I find myself without those orc allies because they were sold away. So I have to paint new orc allies. That's just all there is to it, right? As you do, yeah. As you do. Now, if you're not as crazy as me, but you're partially as crazy, which is to say, you want to bring orc allies, but you don't have time to paint them, you can do that uh, in a stunning move. K two has a massive collection, uh, and he is. Serving as the CEO this year of Orcs. Of Orcs, yeah. So you can request uh, 300 points of Orc allies, and he will provide it to you on the day of the tournament. And it will be fully painted, you know, and based models from his collection. But the caveat is, one, you have to donate to charity to get it. And two, he's not going to tell you in advance what those 300 points are made out of. Right. <laughs> so and and you and 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 uh, there are no other allies that are allowed at Orktown, except for orcs. And, and every army can bring orcs, regardless of their alignment. Right. Yes. So, so I'm taking. So it's awesome. That. Yeah, it's so, awesome. So I um to hit 300 points, a little under 300 points is I uh, am working on a regiment of Morax and then a Morax man splitter. It's the hero to to pal around with them. So I scooped up some classic metal savage orcs on ebay for a really good price uh, a couple months ago and i just painted the first test model uh pretty much entirely with contrast there's one uh layer simple layer of highlight on the bone to make it stand out a little more and uh, there's a couple pieces of metal uh, but other than that it's all contrast and it looks good enough and you know i've got less than a month to do this so 
John is better was, than none, right? <laughs> yeah, I was assembling, um, not that they're, they're one piece, but I was cleaning them up uh, and gluing them to bases before we started recording so I can get those sprayed and, and hopefully finish them up um, in about three weeks' time. So, yeah, that's me for hobby. Yeah, our town is coming up faster than uh, I care to admit, actually. Yeah. Um, cool. So uh, I've been doing a bunch of stuff. I painted a... Uh, I assembled my... my Getting off the Kings of War. Can we go back to 40K, please? Is this 40K radio now? <laughs> um, I assembled and, and pa- started painting up my Tau Pathfinder kill team. Um, and the reason being is this summer we're playing a... we uh, There's like six of us that are going to do a 40K campaign. Like a ladder campaign, just uh, three games of Kill Team and three games of 40K that like work together as an, in a narrative. Um, and so I have an old Tau army that I haven't... I don't know if I ever really played any games with it, to be quite honest. But it's painted. Um, but it's from, I don't know, to, when, when Tau were new, back in like 1999 or something like that. Um, but I said, well, for the, I'll play them in the campaign and I can add this Pathfinder as like a just one more unit to play with and touch them up a little bit. Um, but I didn't want to paint them the same color because, well, again, the other army was painted 20 years ago and it's um, not the best paint job ever. Like, it's fine. Um, so for the Pathfinders, I wanted to do something different. I really like the box art for the new, the new Tau stuff. It's like this white and black scheme with a red. It's like, John, why would you do that to yourself? You know painting white is terrible. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? But I was like, well, let me just try it. <laughs> so, so I painted one as a color test. And I like my Tau army is blue. It's like bright blue for the armor and dark blue underneath. And I was like, well, if I use if I keep the same dark blue clothing underneath um, instead of black, like the box art, and then I go white on the top, but they're not not pure white. It's like a really light blue. Almost it looks white. It's so light. Yeah. Um, and I painted one, and I'm actually pretty happy with the way it came out. It's got enough contrast that it like looks like white armor and not just a, a primed model. Yeah. Um, after you pick out a couple of the details, um, and it didn't take me that long to do either because I airbrushed the model the the base color, the very very light blue to start with, and then I just added highlights. So, um, anyway, there's only I think 12 models to paint there. I painted one. I'm working on the others, so they're coming out really really nice. I like that. Uh, and then I'm also assembling some mind screeches right now as we speak. And they are miscast. So there's like uh, an entire, there's like, two, and they're both the same. It's the exact same miscast on both of them. So it's obviously like a mold problem. Yeah. Um, there's like two tentacles that are supposed to like wind around each other. And there's just a whole freaking big piece of it missing. And this is the Mantic official. The Mantic Mind Screech, yeah. Like, other than that, the the mold lines on them aren't too bad, Um, but the big missing piece that I'm going to have to re-sculpt is a little annoying. So, yeah, so Mind Screeches, I don't know, like Greg, I got to get ready for Orktown. I ordered some magnetic sheets um, to use to to magnetize some models that I haven't played with in a long time to fill in for that army. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Got a lot, lot of things going on, I guess. Oh, good, John. Yeah. You you reminded me here because I saw pictures of that Tau model, and I I agree it looks good. Uh, mm-hmm. Good contrast between those colors, and you know they really pop. Uh, and <laughs> looking at pictures of models has reminded me to share that I started a new social media account for the podcast. Mm-hmm. It is on Instagram. If you use Instagram, you can find me slash us at 
Unplugged Radio KOW. And you'll see pictures of painted models, news from the show, pictures from events, and other random unplugged related radio related things on there. So cool. You've got Instagram at unplugged radio KOW. Nice. Nice. Very nice. So I I uh I've painted white a couple ways with my armies over the time and it depends i think if you want to do because i do that uh you do really light blue as the base and you go up to white or what i'll do is i'll do like a really light cream and go up to white depending on if i want a warm tone or a cool tone yeah exactly yep. right but that's that's usually how i how i've done it and then it, because normally it's like color wash you know or i'm sorry color um ink wash to make it to go into the recesses and then same color and then you highlight three and you call it a day when you do white, you can't really do the wash part, and the wash covers a multitude of sins, so you better be clean, right, with the white. I think that's the toughest thing that I have with it is it's a little unforgiving. That you know? is the truth. Um, yeah, to totally. So what I what I did here was I – I mean, I have the airbrush, so it's a little bit like cheating, right? But I sprayed it this color that's called ice blue. It's a Vallejo color. It is almost white, but it's got a little bit of blue in it. Um and then I went back with a contrast paint and shaded just the panel lines, like all the, the shading areas. So you don't wash the whole model. You just part, just like with a real fine brush, really kind of work it into the, the lines between the armor mm. panels. And then that causes a little bit of sh uh, sh uh, staining on the white though. Yeah. But that's okay because then I went back after it and highlighted the outside of those armor panels with pure white. So basically, wherever there was the dark area, right on the other side of it, I put a, a pure white highlight. That's how you get that. That's it, how you get that pop. That, it, that, you get the those, pop because it's actually going like black to white in yeah, the recesses. Because your lines come out really, really clean. I didn't catch that when I was looking at the picture. That's cool. Yeah. So, so overall, like I think it's kind of a, a, a fun technique because it's a little bit tricky and it, it's not that hard to do. I mean, you need a fine hand to get those those lines on there. But like time wise, I actually didn't spend a ton of time highlighting that. Sure. Right. That's pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah. So that's one of the things about um, just experimenting with some of these other models is like, it's fun to just pick up some weird colors and, um, you know, try something different. Cool. Is it over to me? It, it is. is. I feel like it is. I, uh, you know, I packed. <laughs> I, I, I I've been packing my house up, and I had to pack the. I'm still I'm still packing the basement. It's you're still I, packing, buddy. I got all. I thought you're supposed to be on. out of there by now. I, it's 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 going up. I've already got a couple offers. It's going up for sale uh, on the market in about two weeks, and I have like more. I've I got. I do it room by room by room, and I have two rooms left. How many what? steam tanks did you throw in to sweeten the deal? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, the way with the way metal prices are now, it's like that or a washer dryer combo, right? I think right, the same amount of metal in them, right? Um, but I, in all seriousness, I went to I went to the unplugged GT, it was awesome. We'll talk about it. Uh, I also coordinated and got our master's team together, hey. so that's good, yeah. Right? So, similar to the last couple of years, it's been. It's going to be a, a, a rough and tumble, great group of eight, right? And Greg is going, and John is going, and I'm going, and Corey. And Mike's and, back on the team this year. Right? And Corey and Corey. And uh, and and Pat O'Neill is going to First join. First timer for too, Pat. Right? Yeah. Awesome. Good and, deal. And, and did you mention Keith, the, the I, master I was about himself, to say, coming to defend his title? The master, yes. 
So get ready, buddies, because here we come. It's going to be great. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Super excited. Right. Yep. Anyway. But, yeah, so I, I coordinated that, which actually takes a lot more time than you think. Yeah, I believe um, it. Oof, just a lot. Of, anyway, and then uh, the other thing that we got going on uh, hobby-wise is just uh, – so between the packing and everything else, but we have an Escalation League going that's uh, going – here in Albany. Um, and I worked with the guy a little bit back and forth and he wants to do a final, like a one day tournament at the end of the thing to like, I heard that. Hoopla. Yeah. So I, I just, I worked with him back and forth a little bit about what the, what the rules would be and what would be like super um, newbie friendly, you know, and just like, how do you make it so it's chill and not too anyway. So we, we, we talked back and forth about that. So I'm looking forward to that too. That's going to be at the end of May. Nice. I think he has it scheduled like the weekend before Orktown. Yep. Right. So that'll be, that'll be good. So is that the type of thing that you are opening to the public, or is it just for people that played in the league? No, it's anybody who wants to roll in, come on in, cool. right? And just, it's twenty three hundred. So if you want to come with your with your Orktown list without those allies, right? Feel free. Or if you want to roll in and do, uh, you know, do your masters practice, that's cool too. No, that's the wrong place to do your masters <laughs> practice. That's mean. Yeah, <laughs> probably right. I was about to say, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm so happy that like we have. You know, with me being so busy, and 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 to be honest, Corey usually is my—he's the one who steps in and takes care of things, right? And he's been fantastic, but he's been busy too. And having Jason step up and and run the Escalation League after Dead of Winter and after the 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 intro day we had is just really heartening for me, right? Because we now we have a venue and now we have a community, and the community is kind of self-sustaining, and that's really what you want. It's, it's yeah, that's awesome. where you want to be, so that you can take a break right. every now and then. Someone else yeah. steps in, and then you just swap around, right? Like yeah, right. And everybody's doing something, but they don't feel as if they have to do everything. It's good. Yeah, right. that's healthy. That's good. Right. Healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah buddy. So that's about it. Awesome. awesome. Um, well, we can talk a little bit about books um i wanted to talk before we go into our own individual books um a while back uh friend of the show guy harper i believe his last name's harper um from the uk got in contact with me and said that he had an author friend who was writing a book that had some kings of war relatedness to it not a book set in the kings of war universe but a book about kings of war slash miniature war game players and asked me if i was interested in hearing more as someone who loves reading and always wants to see more representation of miniature war gaming i was like yeah absolutely um and so fast forward a couple of weeks and myself rossi and greg got copies of I, comma, Nerd by Max Sidney Smith, um, which is a little novella, um, and it's by Open Pen Publishing. Um, so if after we talk about this, you're interested in finding it, it's only available on the UK Amazon website, and it's also available at openpen.co.uk, which is the publishing site. Um, it's sort of a smaller, like, indie publisher. So it's cool to be able to chat with a, a you know someone who's been writing some and um, sort of up and coming and read some of his work. Um, I'm just going to give a quick description of what the book is, and then we can chat about what our thoughts were because I think we had pretty different thoughts on it. Um, so this is about the main character. His name is Robin. Every week he plays 
games in the game club on the top floor of a converted warehouse, and every week he loses. But when news breaks that the club is closing, Robin and his friends set out on a quest to immortalize the club name by entering the national tournament. Will Robin overcome his lifelong losing streak, and how much is he prepared to risk to lead his halfling army to victory? Um, so basically it's set against the backdrop of a subculture under threat. This story in miniature is an ode to friendships and the secret language that binds them. So this is, um, if I could just uh, add on to what you're saying here, Jake, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is, um, you know, the game that he plays, that Robin plays, is called The Game, but it's yes. very clearly <laughs> inspired by Kings of War. Um, and if you don't mind, I'm going to read a short uh, three-paragraph excerpt um, with explicit language. Prepare yourselves uh, to give you a taste of what lies in store if you pick up this novella. At 9.45, we got to our tables. I am on table 16 against a dwarf player from the Bedfordshire Brawlers who is already there when I arrive. He is a big man with a messy beard who sits with his elbows on the table and his hands clasped together. He does not speak as I hang my jacket on my chair and begin to unpack my miniatures. Most dwarf armies are slow, so the twin who collects elves said my plan should be to send my pony riders and cockagriff forward to kill his cannons, and only then move forward with my massive infantry. But as soon as I arrive at the table, I realize this is not going to be an option. The dwarf army is arranged on a small wooden tray, and I can see it is the fastest dwarf army it is possible to make. Each halfling spearling unit I take from my case seems smaller and more vulnerable than the one before. I know I should be thinking of a new plan, but I cannot. All I can think is fuckity fuck fuck on a loop without a break. Perfect. (laughs) I see what you were trying to do there. It would not have worked. It would not have worked. Right? Um, So I want to start with some of the stuff I liked from this book. Um, It reminded me a lot of the slice of life anime and manga that i've been consuming pretty rapidly recently in that it focuses not on a big global catastrophe there's no big thing happening instead it's a very simple story about everyday events and everyday relationships where the crux of the story is a thing that could happen to anyone and so because of that the pacing is gentler than say a dresden book where you know his allies lives are on the line um, and so I really enjoyed the the pacing and the characterization, particularly of um, the way the hobby is depicted uh, through parts of the book. I think really it felt very, um, because there's not high stakes, it was more relaxing to read. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah, there's a... Sure. There's a very different focus coming out of it. So did so you really enjoyed that part of it, Jake? Yes, yes, I did. Um, you feel free to balance out that, uh, Greg or well, Rossi. I, I I was actually going to dive in and say that I really the thing that I really enjoy is that it talks about the main characters' insecurities quite well. Mm-hmm. There is some yes. beautiful turns of phrase that he uses to describe, um, really just how. Uh, Anxious is too strong a word, but just how like really not settled the the main the main protagonist is lacking in right? self confidence. I think is what sort of 
Yeah. You know, remind yeah. me of that awkward teen phase that we all go through. Sure. Right. I, I, now, that being said, I think that the I think that the the main character is in his mid 20s. Yes. Not a teen. Not a teen. Right. <laughs> okay. Which, a little off putting, but, you know, but that, but like I said, I think that that he captures he's very his emotional writing is very good. Yes. You know. Yeah. And I think like you saw in the excerpt that I read there, like obviously there's plenty of it that's relatable as people who play uh, Kings of War in all sorts of different settings and have been in this hobby long enough to come across all sorts of different gamers. Right. Um, and, and there's some good humor in there too. Um, and then I think that also kind of leads into one of the criticisms that we have when we talked about where it leans a little too hard into cliches mm-hmm. um, a- around competitive gaming. And, and then there's also the, we, we kind of talked about, well, to what extent is that just based on what we've experienced and how, you know, the, the author Max is, is from the UK, maybe how his experience is different um, with the scene uh in the uk but it felt at times like it went a little too far caricature is sort of it's borderline caricatures in a couple of places i and it's funny because i can deal with the caricatures when he talks about because in the beginning he talks about his club mates Mm -hmm. and they really are caricatures of certain types which i really appreciated i was like okay cool i see what you're doing here and it's very funny Mm -hmm. and it it's his first chapter where he talks about the game he talks about the game before the game Yes. Okay. Right. And he does a fa- he does a fantastic job there talking about essentially just Warhammer, right? Oh my god. <laughs> and just the, the the this functional relationship we all had with that game. And he does an excellent job with that. But then when it gets to like he goes and he goes to his first tournament and it everybody's an a-hole mm-hmm. and no and it's not funny. They're just jerks. Right. Right. And I, I remember reading that and being like, if I read this, like, why even go to an event and why meet people in this hobby? Why are you doing this hobby? Everybody's a jerk off. Right. And I, I if it was for humorous purposes, I didn't laugh. Right. Right. It wasn't it wasn't over the top enough to make me go. Ha, that's ridiculous. Right. You know, so that that it really after I was done about two thirds of the way through the book, I'm like, wow, nobody's likable. You know. So one thing I walked away from thinking um, is that because I knew as I was reading it, I mentally knew you were going to not. I mean, because you're not supposed to enjoy the depiction of the tournament. But specifically, I had like written down as a note, Rossi's going to say, why would you go to a tournament after reading this? <laughs> right. Um, but I think one thing I really grasped onto is I felt like the the central conflict in the book is more a discussion about why this specific character games versus um, and tries, I don't think as adeptly to show why maybe other people have di- like the different styles of gaming, but misses the, the gray that is there because, you know, we all game at tournaments and other than myself are not jerks. Right. <laughs> So yeah, I, and 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 uh, and not to say like harumph, you don't know, right? Because I I don't know what the scene is like, and I don't know if he was going for, I don't know if he was going for a 
everything, all those people were awful maybe because he has no self-esteem and he took them as being awful. Right. Right. Two, but that, I don't know. I just, I, I read it and I was like, there's something slightly off here and I'm not, it's like, you know, all these chips are stale, but I love chips. Right. I think some of it was it, it was a writing device to try to create a conflict to try to get our main character without doing too many spoilers to try to pivot what his central conflict about what because the central thing is i think he's discussing and trying to figure out throughout this book why he's gaming because losing the club forces him to examine well this is the thing that he does to interact with people to get out of his apartment but why is he gaming he doesn't want to be the guy who loses all the time but he also doesn't want to be the guy who kind of takes the cheesy list is basically the way he describes it um, and so he sort of bends that to get to this tournament and feel like he's going to do better. And I feel like that's to create a foil to try to test where he's going to fall. And I feel like that's where the central conflict is. And I, so I feel like the characters he faces in the tournament are more shallow, one-sided things to try to force that internal conflict rather than necessarily for right. any other reason. Sure. I can see that. But, but I yeah. think because of that, they end up feeling very shallow, and you know, you do sort of leave wondering, why do people go to this, right? right. <laughs> why bother, right? But the other thing about the book, too, is it's, what, 80 pages? 66. Right? And so, like, I think that he has some good ideas there, and if he had made it 130 pages explored it more right? uh, and explored it more i really actually i mean his like i said his characterizations about the actual game itself were great his characterizations about coming out of warhammer were dead on his characterizations about being um self-conscious about mm -hmm. being a gamer and what that is like was perfect right his I prose looked, is oh, very strong seen that i just would have loved to have seen more of that yep i think his prose is very strong he has really yeah. good ability of like dialogue and description and internal like it, it flows very well which is not easy to do yeah i would say it to to add on to what your uh point you're making there jake that his his like technical writing ability is strong his craft is good um and not that you know i didn't expect it to be well written but you know it's a new author uh, publishing like in independent publishing sometimes some of those things are poor Right. Uh, but that is not the case at all. Max is, is, is quite a strong writer and it shows in his work. Agreed. Agreed. So I, I walked away. I, I enjoyed it. I read it in one day in like an hour and a half. It's a very quick read. Um, but I, I enjoyed it for the positive things we said, and I could look beyond the negative things. Um, but I will say that like, the characters, specifically the characters other than our main character, Robin, are, are shallow and basically they're there to to have one purpose or to be one depiction of someone that you might have known in your local game store. And I think the, the, conc the conclusion leaves stuff wanting, I think partially because of the like, length, but also I wonder if it's in part a writing device that just didn't quite work for me. Is there, is there one of the gamers in there that you just wish would go take a shower? <laughs> no, but uh, there were Napoleonic gamers that were wearing um, like hats and costumes. Okay. I don't really have a problem with hats and costumes. Yeah, you know. 
Good thing. (laughs) So one more time, Jake, if our listeners are interested in checking this out for themselves, where can they get it? Sure. Um, So you can go to open pen one word o p e n p e n dot co dot uk to find it um you could also search just i nerd by max sydney smith and probably get some links it's also on the uk amazon site because it is just being published in the uk um which does mean if you're not in the uk shipping and handling would be a little bit more expensive but it is pretty cool to have the chance to support an up-and-coming writer and someone who's specifically writing about wargaming at least in one of their books sweet what else have you been reading um so i want to share one book that i read actually finished last week um it's called year of the reaper and i think i'm going to pick this for the book club book for a discord in june um it's by micaiah lucier and uh it is a historical fiction book but it's not specifying where in europe it takes place it names countries that don't exist i think purposely to play around without having to worry about real historical events um but it's set through the backdrop of the black plague sweeping sweeping over uh the land and our main character is returning home after a horrific imprisonment by a rival country that was at war with the country that he is a lord of and he survived the plague and can now see ghosts of recently departed people um and he's returning home sort of in seeing everything around his home and the lead up changed because entire villages have been killed by the plague you know people have moved away things have been looted and pillaged and he's a changed person because he has endured this horrific imprisonment and when he returns back obviously his home is not quite the same and it's a lot about him discovering his place in this new home while he is also different figuring out which if any of his family are still alive and then getting swept up in an assassination plot for against the royal family that happens pretty rapidly once he gets home um it was fascinating uh the main character is written extremely well uh they have a really good sometimes when you have a character that's gone through hardship it's really tough to avoid the edge lord you know cloud strife syndrome where they're just you know a little bit too over the top brooding and you're just like okay this is what do we do here? Um, <laughs> the main character's name is Kaz, and he does a it does a really good job balancing likable moments in specific instances with revealing trauma in other instances and revealing like how this person's perspective has now changed and warped because of surviving the plague, seeing ghosts of the you know people we once knew, and then also enduring three years of torture. Um, it, it, it was really good if you like it felt like a brooding story to me but not morose and um it has hints of uh hopefulness it's sprinkled through all of this horror and as someone who was just fascinated by the plague growing up in high school and well into adulthood it was really cool to read mm. um it's a standalone book so you don't need to sign on for a full series um it's a lot of fun Technically, it is young adult because the characters are teenagers and a lot of people shelve it in young adult, but it lacks a lot of the angst and drama that young, young adult 
um, series frequently have. And so if that's something you're looking for, this won't have it. But if that's something you don't like about Young Adult, this one might be worth giving a try. That's cool. Yep. Cool. Year of the Reaper. Year of the Reaper. You got it. 300 pages, really, really quick. Man, in, out, done. All right, Mm -hmm. cool. Is Year of the Reaper referring to the plague? So it's kind of alluding to? That's what it's alluding to, yep. Because the, the plague has stopped, but you're getting continued references throughout the book to yeah. the effects of it. Yeah, um, and they, the person, the author purposely picked things that happened during the real plague in Europe and just sprinkled them in their book. Like stuff that you're like, this is fiction. This is astounding. And then, but because I read a good, a good amount on it and because they could include in the afterwards, you're like, Oh, this is true. This is crazy. Greg, what about you? Well, since finishing Oathbringer, I have read, it's like a floodgate open. I've read a tremendous <laughs> number of books, and I just keep reading more. <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing how short they, they feel um, in, in relation to uh, Sanderson. But there's, there's two in particular I wanted to mention, and they are thematically related. Uh, so first up, I recently watched um the death on the nile which is a, a movie that came out this year it's kenneth branagh sorry i'm gonna cut in and out again because my cat's automatic feeder turned on and it's loud I, I heard that. Um, yep. it, it almost <laughs> technical difficulties with the cat feeder that is amazing all right, we're good. Um, it's it's a movie based on an Agatha Christie novel um, that Kenneth Branagh uh, directed and and he uh, stars in. And they, he did a, a previous one for her other um, another one of her books, Murder on the Orient Express, uh, several years ago. And uh, I enjoyed both of those movies. Um, and I thought, you know what? I've never read anything from Agatha Christie. Let me like look her up and, and read something. Um, so what I immediately discovered, which I had no idea is that she is the best selling fiction writer of all time. Yep. Her books have sold over a billion copies. Um, she wrote 66 detective novels. 33 of them are based on this character, Hercule Poirot. Yes. What those two, um, are about. Um, she wrote short story collections. She wrote screenplays. She wrote all sorts of things. So I was like, all right, I should, I, I, I got to read something. I had to give it a try. So I kind of did a little research onto what are her highest reviewed books in the Poirot series. And obviously the two that I just mentioned, but I didn't want to read those because it's a murder mystery and I already know the plot. Um, so I picked up a different one uh, that was highly rated called the ABC murders. And this is um, a book about a serial killer and the serial killer um, appears to be going in alphabetical order and uh, taking out like the first character is Mrs. Asher. And she lives in a place that begins with an A Ashford or something like that. And then, you know, the next character's name begins with a B and they live in a town that begins with B. Um, so it's a little like 
I don't know, like hokey, but um, it was written in 1936. So if you kind of take that for what it is, that um, it's not going to be your maybe expected 2022 appetite for uh, a thriller and um, like a dark kind of crime thing. It's very light, even though it's about a serial killer. Um, it, it was quite good. It, it definitely went in some directions that I wasn't expecting. And then it's kind of follows that formula that she invented where there's a, a genius detective and um, maybe not invented, but perfected um, where there's a genius detective and there's a whole bunch of people that are suspects and they all seem to have uh, a reason why they might want to uh, be the killer. They might have something to gain. And then, uh, the genius detective figures it out, but doesn't tell anybody until the end when they've kind of assembled them all into a room and aha, here's <laughs> the killer. And then right. the killer is like, ah, you got me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, so that's kind of the style. Um, and if you can put up with, with that style, like you take it for what it is, it's, it's quite enjoyable. Uh, and it, it's really quick. It's only 272 pages. Um, so I liked it a lot. I could see clearly her influence in so many, um, you know, modern writers. And in in fact, like even the Dresden Files has a, a lot of um, oh, yeah. influence from what Agatha Christie did. Sure. Uh, so it's cool. And uh, I would definitely read some more of her books again in the future. It's not like I'm not like, you know, oh, my gosh, I have to read all of them now. But it was fun. And I would definitely pick another one up again in the future if right. I'm looking for something light. So, so then I wanted to share actually really quick, a fun Agatha Christie fact I have, um, because this is something that comes up in library world discussion actually pretty frequently. So if you look at the top 10 selling, this data is like two years old, the top 10 selling science fiction slash fantasy authors of all time, the list is J.K. Rowling, Stephen King, J.R. Tolkien, Stephanie Meyer, Anne Rice, C.S. Lewis, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Sir Arthur C. Clarke, Susan Collins, and then George R. Martin. If you add all of their sales together, um, she has sold almost as many as all 10 of them put together and wow. sold twice what um, Rowling and King put together have sold. Just for like when you're envisioning the like how much of an influence she has had on modern literature, like it's just mind boggling. I saw a graph the one time that was like showing the, the pie chart of which authors that are upcoming fantasy authors have sold versus George R. R. Martin and then ballooned out and showed Agatha Christie and everything else like a little slice. Right. <laughs> That's wild. That's no moon. Right. right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's amazing. So um, from there, I transitioned to reading uh, a book by this author, Ellie Griffiths, who is um, kind of seen as like a, a modern version of Agatha Christie. She is a, a British crime novelist um, who has several long running series about different um, detectives and uh, has has won a lot of awards for her work. And she just started a new series 
that has two books in it so far. So I picked up the first one, which is called The Stranger Diaries. It's from 2018. Um, and it was really, really good. Um, it hooked me right away because one of the main characters is a high school English teacher. Um, and this takes place in England. So being a teacher myself and then having one of the protagonists be a teacher in a foreign country, it was fascinating to just constantly make comparisons to how school is run there versus how it's run here. And I uh, was, you know, looking up all the terms and the, the things that they were talking about. So I had some enjoyment from that part. Um, but the, the main protagonist is, um, well, the main protagonist in the series is the detective, although this woman, Claire, is kind of arguably the main character of this book, which is cool because it has each chapter, um, it goes around between a handful of different narrators. And sometimes the plot will overlap a little bit. So you'll get the same scene, but from more than one character's perspective, which is nice. Um, so anyway, the, this woman, Claire, she's an English teacher at uh, a secondary school in England, and one of her colleagues is murdered. And then as the investigation begins, another colleague is murdered, and now it seems like something, something sinister is going on. Um, and it, it, it goes in all sorts of interesting directions from there. And the book is really, like, openly paying tribute to Agatha Christie, like the characters reference Agatha Christie multiple times. It's, it's very like, I don't know. It, it's very open about what it does. And then the other big influence on this book seems to be Edgar Allan Poe and like Gothic horror. Sure. And that is really cool to see those two things coming together. Um, so it was a really fun and engaging book. I liked how the narrators jump around and you get to know, uh, the characters well, and you get to see the plot unfolding from multiple perspectives. And the the main detective, this woman Harbinder Carr, mid thirties, um, Indian heritage, uh, lives at home, takes care of her parents, but super talented and hardworking detective. Um, that continues on in the in the next book with her and then other characters. Um, so I really liked the first one and uh, I'm in the middle of reading the next one, which came out last year called the postscript murders. Um, so th this was fun to see, um, sort of through the movies that I enjoyed that there's actually a couple of authors connected to this that I like. And, you know, it's, it, it is in some ways scratching the same itch as the Dresden files. You just don't get all the fantasy stuff. But sure. in <laughs> the Stranger Diaries, you get some of this gothic horror and what at times, you know, feels almost supernatural stuff going on, which is cool. Right. It's funny you mentioned uh, Poe because he is sometimes credited as being the first author to write a recurring detective character who, like, is super smart and solves the crime, right? And his August Dupin was the guy that he wrote. And a lot of his stuff, a lot of Poe stuff, and it's like the more there's a set of short stories with him. And it's just 
his solutions are the most ridiculous over the top, <laughs> right? Like a orangutan escaped from the zoo and killed four people and he figures it out. It's like, how did you figure that out, dude? Stop it. Right. Like, but it's not 20s it's, go a long way, my friend. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> right. But just it's it's uh, so he's you, you can see the Poe is like trying to figure out the genre and try to figure out the mechanics of the story. But he's still in that over the top language from the rest of his romance, you know, his gothic romance stuff. Right. So it's it's uh, it's fun, but it's very inexpertly done, which makes it more fun, you know. But yeah, supposedly he was one of the one of the pioneers in that, even before like Sherlock Holmes and others. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. John, what about you? What have you been reading? Uh, I haven't finished anything. I've been reading. I don't think I've finished anything at least uh, since, since we last chatted. But I started reading Mistborn, um, which I think I mentioned probably on the the paint chat. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've been really enjoying it. It's good. I, I think I convinced. Um, my wife to read it too. I was like, you know, it would be fun if we read the same book and then like to talk about it. And she was like, oh yeah, because I had been telling her a little bit about Mistborn, um, and she she said she agreed to do it. So I think we'll have to go pick up a good old hard copy from the library um, and give that a try. I think it'll be fun. I don't know how far I am into it, maybe halfway or something, but I'm really enjoying it. So yeah, that, so far so good with Mistborn. That's awesome. That is awesome. Really liking right. it. Yeah, it's cool. I would you, love might, to hear. you might be hard-pressed to find... I don't know how, how long the libraries hold on to copies, but a 2006 to 2008 book might be challenging to find in the library. Used, used bookstores, man. Yeah. Really? yeah. Four bucks solves the problem. But sure Well, so somewhere we'll find it. I mean, you call the library network, though. They can get one from any library yeah, in Massachusetts. It's like some, somebody's got to have If it. you don't mind waiting, usually you can get one from the wider network. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's nice having a librarian on staff. <laughs> <laughs> it so rarely comes in handy that I got to jump in when it can, right? Oh, it's really all you did was ran in his parade. You're never going to get that book. Don't even bother. <laughs> Way to go. It's nice. Must have done. Yeah. But, we'll see. <laughs> cool. right. So I, I, uh, I just finished uh, The Guns of the Empire, which is the fourth book in the um, Shadow Campaigns by Damn, Django dude, Wexler. Well done. It's great. Um, uh, uh, and I, I'm about to start the Infernal Battalion, which is the last one in the series. And then I'll, and then I'll be done with those. And I've been super, they are super enjoyable. They are super enjoyable. And because I'm a Napoleonic guy, it is, you know, I mean, it's, there's no way that Janus is not Napoleon, right? Just the. The, the parallels are well, anyway it's neither here or there it's pretty awesome it's <laughs> i think that's, that's i mean you know that's purposeful right yeah, like... of course, right of course right but it's just it's very well done i'm a big fan i know that there's other stuff that you're saying i should read instead but hey man i can respect just being like this is a series i like this is what i'm going for well, because yeah. yeah i you know i get it right. I, well i mean I'll, I'll read that other stuff too but you know it's it's the difference between yeah it's just it's 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 very well done and i all i'm, I'm halfway through I say a half. I'm a third of the way through Broken Alliance, um, which is the Kings of War halfling novel. Oh, okay. Right? Um, and that is not holding my interest as much as the other the other books are. And I don't know if it's the time period or the writing or what. I think a little bit of both. But I mean, you know. I would imagine, you know, Napoleonics to Kings of War fluff and, you know, like a 
really polished fantasy author versus someone just was on the same probably layer of support that that part you know the i can't remember is that wexler who write, wrote the shadow campaign yeah 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 i mean like napoleonics was of course going to hold your attention more so right cool right i'm like of course you form square that's exactly what you do it was yeah anyway neither here nor there <laughs> yelling, ta- yelling tactics at the book so i'm a nerd anyway that's that's uh that's what i'm up to for reading and it, i'm I highly recommend it. So good. Awesome. Um, do we have any other media we want to talk about really quick before we take a break? I just want to very quickly and in a spoiler-free way, because I know there's some folks on this cast who Me. need to see the movie. Me. Uh, but I did go to see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I want to... I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Preface it. I I have not read any Marvel comics, so I don't know any of that stuff. I've seen maybe at this point 75% of the movies in the MCU. So I haven't seen everything, but I saw the first Doctor Strange, really enjoyed it. Saw the second Doctor Strange, enjoyed it even more. It was not at all what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting. Uh, it's not like the first movie. It is very different. Um, but I thought it was great. And I appreciated the direction that it went in. I imagine some people might be watching it and like, oh yeah, this is uh, this is this plot arc from this comic, from this time. And, you know, like be able to pick up on things that I know nothing about. But I think it, from what I've seen, the, the reviews are mostly positive, but some negative with people being like, what is this? This isn't like the first movie, um, but I'm not uh, I'm not in in that same boat. I think the, the direction they went in was awesome and I really loved it. And there is a lot uh, of things in this movie that'll make you think of Dungeons and Dragons. So go see it. It's great. All right, then. Let's and go. Then we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I still have to see Batman and the new Spider-Man. I haven't oh, seen either of those either. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're far behind. The, the, I loved both of those as well. So, uh, we, uh, <laughs> we we were at uh, Mother's Day at my parents' house this weekend. <clears throat> and my sister was there. And uh, me and my sister are very different people. Let's just, let's just leave it at that. Um, and so she said, oh, John, we saw this movie that you and Kat, Kat Kat's my wife, uh, that you, you and Kat would really love. You've got to watch it. Uh, and she had listed two movies. And one of them, I forget what it was called, but I was like, that doesn't sound like something we would like. Um, do you even really know us? <laughs> uh, but the other one she recommended was Jungle Cruise. Hmm. Uh, and okay. I was like, oh, that's got like The I Rock love in it. Jungle and Cruise. Somebody else. Some, <laughs> it was The Rock and some. And anyway, I was like, all right, well, I, I like, like some movies from The Rock sometimes, right? That, that could be fun. Sounds like Jumanji, maybe. Jumanji was funny. Um, and so Kat, my wife and I started watching Jungle Cruise last night, and it was freaking awful. <laughs> and I, I, we literally couldn't. I am like a, I'm a finisher. Man, when I start something, I'm going to finish it. I don't care if it's bad. I'm like, I'm in it to see the ending, no matter what. I couldn't, I couldn't finish this movie. It was so bad. Wow. I turned, I turned it off. We, we turned it off like maybe an hour in. It this was is, Jake, terrible. how do you, how do you mute someone else's mic? 
Can you remind me how to do that? John, Wait, that, Greg, is, it, that is an uncultured... Did you miss Greg saying, I love that Wine like opinion. That is, a, that is an amazing piece of cinema. Right. Cut the oxygen. I believe I talked about it on this cast. Right. It is not original in any way. It just, you know, is pulling pieces from lots of great action movies from the 80s and 90s. But Emily Blunt and uh, The Rock have such good chemistry. And it's funny. And it, it's maybe you needed to see it in it, the theaters. It was the second movie ever great. in my life. I've turned off and not finished. And the first one was Cloverfield because it was giving me motion sickness. And oh, I was, I was getting say, sick. Cloverfield's awesome, but yeah, I couldn't. I, can see I couldn't. It, yeah. I couldn't watch Cloverfield. I, I that's that's it. Those are the two: Jungle Cruise and Cloverfield. Wow, that was see, so that would bad. Be a very impressively so small number, except John only sees two movies a year, so that's <laughs> actually about four years of movies I could watch there. <laughs> Totally true. Oh, Greg, I, we're just gonna have to uh, take this one to the parking lot and fist fight over it. I guess. No, I think I think Tony and Elena would agree with me. It's a great movie. I think they'd love it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh gosh! It's so. amazing. <laughs> so madness. Anyway, so do we, do we want to take a break before we move on to like Kings of actual Kings of War content? Yeah, yeah, like yeah let's plan. do that. Let's do I ran that. that you was, did. That was my yes, event. You did. Yeah. Did that thing. Um, <laughs> so <clears throat> it was different this year, right? Uh, we knew, moved to a new venue. Um, really changed up the score system, and I think so. I have a big takeaway because I did some reflection on it afterwards, and I have a big takeaway about like the overall of what it means for me to run an event, um, particularly with like scoring and like, and, and that kind of aspect of it. But I'm interested maybe before we get to that part of you got Mike and Greg you played. So what did you think? How did it go? How, how did your games go? How was the hangout? Uh, was, was it good people? Did you hate the rule system? You know, <laughs> what's your review? Kind of, kind of a fan of the rule system. I, uh, so I, I, I I really enjoyed it, to be fair. And I I didn't show up with, I didn't show up until Saturday morning for the actual tournament. So I I went to TJ's and and uh, and 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 uh, showed up that way as opposed to like showing up on Friday night, you know, and getting a practice game or whatever, and everybody hanging out. Um, I showed up Saturday. Just on the same weekend, there was a game convention that was going on. Uh, in the same town, five minutes away. So weird. So yeah. So uh, Kyle and 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 Russ and Lynette were out there, and Corey and I uh, joined them for Friday night and played games at the game convention, and then showed up at TJ's to play in in uh, John's event Saturday and Sunday. Um, 
I I thought that the I thought it was very well written uh, run, and I thought the venue was actually really great. I mean, they their their milkshakes are really good. Like there's a cafe, there's a cafe on site, right? And so the food was okay, but they had an ice cream shop, and that ice cream was homemade, and I did some damage, oof, right? But the you know it's the same thing you've come to expect with the Unplugged GT. The the terrain was great. The the people were fantastic. The the games were were pretty fun. Um, and, and then the hangout Saturday night, John, you were very gracious opening your house up, uh, to us to come over and hang out. That was, that was pretty awesome. It was nice seeing everybody. And then just, you know, really just, uh, availing myself of your hospitality. You know, I, th- I thought it was fun. The hangout was fun. I had a good time. It was, it was cool to, to uh, host everybody and kind of have a gamer party, if you will. Yeah. It was, and it was, it was nice catching up with cat. It was just really good. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was a great time all around for me. Um, Greg, what do you think? I, it's funny because I, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but I do want to hear Greg's opinion, though it may be biased. <laughs> um, Possibly. Well, let's start it off like this. It was the best event that's ever been run in the history of Kings of War events. <laughs> the scoring system was completely just. and we The had scoring system was flawless. knows that it led to the winner was obviously the best person in the entire event and everybody knows how great they are. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And uh, yeah, and the winner was me. So there you go. <laughs> the winner was We've me. settled it. It's there been it decided. Right? Um, amazing. Well, you know, the, the scoring system was a lot different and, and I'm not sure to what extent we talked about this in advance on the yeah. podcast, but in previous years, we've had a special award at the Unplugged GT called the Complete Hobbyist, where we just gave people a score that was based on where they finished their ranking in the categories of battle, appearance, and sportsmanship. So the lowest score is best, right? A perfect score would be a three if you came in first in all first three in categories. All categories. Yeah. Um, and that's been kind of like the coveted award at the event in addition to, you know, the, the awards you're used to seeing. Uh, but we decided this year that let's just lean in to the fact that our event is a little bit different and has a slightly different focus from other ones. Now that there are a, a plethora, honestly, we're, we're fortunate, a plethora of events in the Northeast and yeah. within driving distance in the Mid-Atlantic and some other regions. So Let's try and just make ours unique. And instead of doing an overall category, let's just make the complete hobbyist our overall. Um, it's, it is so the that was the thing, yeah. right? So we did a, a pure just like breakdown of your ranking, add it together to figure out your placing. And then there was still a best general award. There were uh, still separate appearance and sportsmanship awards um, and, and such. And so uh, I did well in all of the categories and uh, happened to take home first place, which I was really excited about. Um, well deserved. Well deserved, dude. Do you recall you. what you finished in each of the three categories? Yeah. Uh, so I finished, I think I finished in fifth for battle, fifth for sports and first for paint. Third, oh, I'm sorry. Well third, third for battle. I just looked, looked it oh. up. Yeah, oh, so you were third fi- for battle. Fi- okay. So the the person who won the event had a, a fifth, a third, and a first in terms of their rankings. Right, right. 
was still pretty close shit. to the top um, in all of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, it was interesting because you do, it, theoretically, you could look at the system and, and it's possible that someone who, who did poorly in battle could uh, still come in the top. Right, if they got first for paint, first for sportsmanship, and like Possibly. I don't know, ten, maybe tenth or something. Yeah, um, maybe not that extreme, but uh, actually, no, it's very possible. Yeah, look, at, look, yeah. look at second place. Right. Look, well, who came, in, who came in second? Yeah, who came in second? Mike Rossi. Oh, that's Mike right. Rossi. I did come in second. That's right. <laughs> but but Mike finished high in battle too. I thought. Where did no, Mike, Mike, Mike finish? finish? First in sports. Fourth yes. in battle, thirteenth yeah. in paint. But if you swap uh, battle and paint, oh, if you swap battle in, and paint, he could have come in thirteenth in paint and still come in second place. Or thirteenth in battle, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. If his paint had been higher, yeah, yeah sure. I guess that's right. Well, what I was going to say is interesting is that um, the best general was Corey, and yeah. he got Corey, third Corey overall. Was, yeah. Right. Yes. So so Mike right. and Corey and myself were all near the top for um battle and we still finished in the top three overall right. spots right uh, so there wasn't right. but like you just said if if the paint and the battle ranking had been swapped on mike's perspective then someone who had a lower battle score could could come first which but is just different uh, in most tournaments their overall score is very heavily weighted towards battle towards battle exactly right so it's just and this different. is it, and this is not points either. It's rank. So, for instance, there was no paint score and there was no sportsmanship score. You just got a rank. But so it's, just a little, it's a little bit different because you can't tie, right? There isn't like – there's not a bunch of people that got a 18 and then a couple people got a 20. There's right. only one person who got an 18 and one person got a 19 and one person got a 20. It's all yeah, in order. right. So it's I – don't, I don't want to say it's better or worse or more real indica really indicative of – winning or losing or whatever it's just different right um you know I, I think some case studies here if you look at like Corey Wallizer came in third he came in ninth in sports first in battle ninth in paint so that's a pretty big spread he did really good in one category and uh a, a slightly above average in the other categories right um but that was enough to get him a podium because that first place carried a fair bit of weight but it would have been very simple for somebody to come in like if you came in fifth place in all of the categories, you probably would have finished second. Yeah, that puts you at fifteen, right? Right. See, so, if you if you did reasonably good in all of them, you would have you could have won the event even. Um, and then the other interesting thing about the ranking is it leads to a, the good thing is that okay. So a lot of times you go to an event, it's like okay, uh, there's forty points available for sports, and yep. everybody gets a forty to a thirty-six. Yep. And so really the way the system is designed, there's four points available. There's, there's really four points. It's right? a bias. Out of, out of 120 or however many, right? Right, which just puts even more of a weight on, on battle, battle because right. you actually do get a, a large a spread. spread in battle yep. points. Yeah, right. So yeah, think about that. If you're playing blackjack, you've got 105, a five, five-game tournament, you've got 105 points available for battle. And somebody will probably get something like 10 on the bottom, realistically. Right. And somebody will get in the 90s at the top. And so that's what's the spread there? Maybe 80 to 90 points. Right. And I'm like you said, on the bottom, the sports, it doesn't matter if 
if sports are worth 20 or 40 or 60, if everybody gets those points, they're worth right. nothing. And then, but the, the other side of that, and, and this is a, I think a legitimate grumble is you will have a room, let's say for paint scores. Okay. And let's say that yeah, out of the half the room are way above average. Right. So you go in and it's like, okay, you walk into the room, you're like, wow, like a third of these armies could be the best painted at whatever event. But one of those armies that should, I say in quotes, should get a top score is actually getting a middle score because of the ranking. Right. And so in that instance, that is not indicative of the skill to a degree. Right. Because then like, you know how it is in a room. There's a there's a there's a tier of a tier of armies where you're like whoa, and then there's a tier tier of armies that are like yeah, and then there's like where I am, and there's a gap between where my armies are and like the whoa, right? But with the ranking, there is no gap. There's no right? gap. You right. see what I mean? I and so yeah. you see, and that I think is a when we ran masters, that was a that was a grumble that I heard from a lot of other regions and their players. They were like, listen, I'm really good. I'm like, yeah, but in that room, you were you were thirty second. And like, yeah, but look at my army. It's amazing. Oh, I agree with you. But in that room, you were 32nd. And it just didn't sit right with people. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I think I think more, even more so than the battle ranking. Um, because that does change the battle scores. Because someone could, the first place person could be 22 points ahead on battle. But they're only one point ahead. They're only right? one right? place ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I, I think that was an easier cultural shift for people than looking at like you said the 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 painting and the sportsmanship because the other part of that is like normally right in that sportsmanship result you might expect the lowest score to be four five six seven eight points beyond everybody and you know that the reason that someone got that lower score generally is because they did some unsportsmanlike things they got to dinged. get a lower score yeah they got dinged um, whereas you can have an event like we did at Unplugged GT, where from what I understand, there were no sportsmanship issues and it was a great room of people, yeah. but someone still has to be ranked at the bottom. Right. Right. And right. someone has to be in, and, and so to be in the bottom, even like the bottom half, you might at first impression feel like oh well did i do something wrong was i a bad sport but that's not even the case you just weren't the best sport right Right. it's like in a room where everyone is good uh you have to be the most good (laughs) to win yeah to win yeah yeah Yeah. and and scoring lower isn't a, a a mark against your character it's just in the opposite direction it's a mark against the person who got ranked the highest right it, which speaking as the guy who got ranked the highest um i just it was it was very it's always interesting to me one i'm really proud this is my second best sports uh in this calendar year right so i took it down at pilgrimage and i took it down here and to take it down i mean just i know these guys up here right so i looked around and i was like how did i win when kevin spear and chris murphy are in this room <laughs> right like how did that happen right i literally like all right third best sports mike hey you were here too right but it's it was one it was awesome and two uh um i don't want to talk about that later my my outlook was a little different i had no um 
delusions of competence going into the into the entire tournament. I was in the, I was using an army I'd never used before. Right. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah. So I had, I had K two had um, donated to to Greg's charity, uh, and one of the things that I that we had done in order to raise donations, I was like, you know, I need to use an army, and all my stuff is packed away. So who wants to donate to Greg's charity and write me a list? And K two uh, had his had his name pulled out of the hat, and I ended up driving an orc list over the weekend, and it was pretty great, and it was a lot of fun, and I had no idea really what I was doing with the army so i, I was kind of like playing but i had no expectations so i played really easy and free and and uh my my demeanor on the table had none of my normal like oh i guess you go here and you're just gonna beat me like that that problem that i have where i can <laughs> see into the future because dwarves <laughs> don't do anything i was like oh i have an answer to this i move a little faster than that i'll just go over there and go get that right it was it was it was pretty awesome you know, all, all around. It was it was a cool experience just because of that. It's a liberating experience. Yeah, for a little Mike. bit, right? A little bit, yeah. right? So, but it, it, and it's let's let's be clear. He he played an orc army, so it's not like he moved up very far in the speed table. But he's like speed five and wild charge. This is it's this is insane. Amazing. Slow down there, buddy. Amazing. I could charge thirteen inches, just so you know. <laughs> better better stay out of that. Oh, 14 if you knew the banner. Get ready, right? That army, that army was fun to play, but and and I one of the highlights of the weekend was I got to play K two. I, I played, the, I played yeah. against K two with his own army, <laughs> right? And that was that was a ton of fun. All the orcs on one table. Oh, absolutely, it was great. So, so from my perspective, um, as a as a TO, I I did some soul searching after the event to try to you know feel out like what is it that I like about this, or or do I like this? You know, like why why do I why do I run GTs, basically? And I came to the realization that TOs put a little bit of themselves into their tournament. Or the club puts a little bit of their, their, their collective personality into the tournament, right? For sure. Absolutely. Right? And I think that makes sense, right? Like, you're, you're, oftentimes, TOs are some of the, your most invested people in the community. It's why you see a lot of the tournament organizers at Masters every year, because they're they're just they're in it why why do they spend all their free time running a tournament like that because they're they're in it for the community a lot of times not not collect not all the time um but i thought about why why does somebody set up the rules for a gt a certain way and i think i reached the conclusion that a to sets up a tournament the way they would want somebody else to run a tournament for them because you you put Put into it what you want to see. And I think like, I'm looking back on the people that won this event, right? Like, like Greg and Mike, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they won because those are the people that I would want to see running an event because they, they exhibit the things that I find valuable. They, they show the qualities that I think I show when I go to event, right? Like as a player, I would want to compete in this event because these are the things that I like. Well, minus the sportsmanship, right, John? I mean, let's be real. He is a sportsmanship. <laughs> right? Well, as, as, much, I, I, uh, as much as I want to... After 20 out. minutes, Jake chimes in with the knife. Right? <laughs> Can't believe you didn't like Jungle Cruise. Oh. <laughs> but I think that, I mean, that calls back to the, isn't the, like, the classic advice that all organizers give to new upcoming organizers run the event you wish you would you would want to personally play in right like 
right. that sort of fits into that, right? Right, right. So, yeah, so I remember, uh, you know, a number of times we, well, years ago, I guess, we added this, um, what do they call it? The, 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 the Paragon at Masters. They had the Paragon Award. Yeah. And I went to Masters a couple of times. And if Paragon had been scored the way it was supposed to be scored, <laughs> the way I had set it up, right? Because uh, the original Paragon Award was modeled after the Complete Hobbyist. I would have won Paragon twice at Masters. Um, that's Because that's what I do, right? I play the game pretty okay, but I'm never going to be the best in the room. I paint pretty good, but I'm never going to be the best in the room. It's, so like, you know, that's kind of my game. Um, anyway, so it's all about like that's the that's this GT this scoring system, the way it's set up is modeled after how how like it's my personality put into a tournament pack, right? Right. So so it's interesting, but but I'm glad like the, I look at the people that won and I think yeah yeah those are the people that are like, you know do the do the things I like to see. I like that that Greg won because he's a he played well, and he had a good paint score, and I like that Mike won because. He would, uh, you know, was the best sport, and he also played pretty well. And like, and you just go down the list, and Corey and Kevin and Corey Reynolds, and like, yeah, those are the people that I want to see win events. So, sure, right. it worked. It, it's it's to to your point. I'm still every year. I will continue to push the way that, and even if you're not going to do ranking, because I understand some of the some of the negatives about ranking, right? Um, yeah, sure, sure. But there is there still has to be an acknowledgement that you have to use the entire spread of the soft scores, right? Otherwise, what's the point? What's of having the point? The There's right, no, exactly. Just make it one, two, three, four, and everybody else gets zero, and it's the yeah. same thing, and then right. plus numbers, right? Right, and then because then you know it's like okay, well, I came in first for the tournament in battle, and I also won first because paint was worth twenty percent and scores are, sports are worth twenty percent, but I actually only got five points for sports over anyone else. Right. And so you look at the actual spreads and it's like, they don't count. You they're, know, they're worthless. Yeah. yeah the, so the, you, you the difference between use... the middle to the top in your paint score or your sportsmanship score added together might be worth half a game. Yeah. Right. And so at it's that like, point, eh. it's like, it's, it's not enough. If you want to have a true paragon anyway, that's, that's my soapbox. We all agree. Yeah. I don't know what Jake does, but I think Greg, you know, Greg, John and I agree that that is, that is kind of how, you have to do it in order to get a true Paragon winner, right? So that they are all weighted evenly against each other. Right? I'm, you know? I'm extremely biased with the way I view it because Unplugged was my first and only tournament for like three years in a row. Yeah. So for me, that was the norm that events did and everything else has perpetually felt like a, oh yeah, I have to remind myself this is how they do this, you know, and in recent years, I've at least been able to not just continually assume Paragon is in the norm because it's not. Right. Um, so I, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Paragon as a hobby guy as yeah. well. Um, I think uh, if you're someone who is listening to this and like, I hear what you're saying about the spread, but I don't like how much of a spread that is. I think if you're looking for a middle ground, sometimes the point spread I like is to um, something uh, Corey Reynolds says is like the equivalent of like a win to a draw, something to flip a draw to a win, you know, in soft scores with spread can be something to keep in mind if you're looking for a smaller impact. Or a win win to a loss on each one is what I would do. But either way, it's... It, it's, but you, um, the, the key is thinking about the spread, not just the points on the table. 
because right. of everybody. The spread is what's important. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. I I remember <laughs> at, at at Crossroads last year, I had I had had way too many bourbons, and I was talking to Alex Chavez about about the game, and I was like, "We are the Paragon region, right? Like that's that's what I want to shoot for." And uh, and he was like, "Yeah." Um, but you know, the, the mid Atlantic, I said, you should do more Paragon that way. Bart Kohler can go to more events. I was so uppity and, and you know, just, I was, I was so crusady. Classic um, Rossi. That's what I do. And then, <laughs> but then the set, you know, and he, he was making a point. He goes, no, what'll happen is Bart will just get better at the game and he'll be, then he'll be able to go and also be great at paint. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. And then on the second day, I look up and down the tables at Crossroads and like two thirds of the people on the, on the top row are all the Atlantic Atlantic, players. I looked over at at Alex and I said, Hey man, I owe you an apology. I am sorry. Right. Like you are correct. You know? Um, Because we, because not that we value different things, but just his, his was like masters is a, is a, is a, uh, it's a battle first. So we choose people based on battle. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not, that's not the uh, award. My, my team cares about. Right, I think right. as as the Northeast as a region doesn't really, you know, we want to do well and we want to do well, I'm but we want to do it all and everything else too. Exactly, right. Mm-hmm. I want it all. I want my cake. Yeah. I want to eat it too, and I want ice cream on top. That's what I want, right? And we have the current master in the Northeast, I, mm-hmm. so that is also, <laughs> also true. Let the record state. That's I also right. think that it's good. I mean, like the whole master's qualification aside, I think it's healthy have events that are different and that was one of the big like aside from the like what do i feel about what's a winner and what's not whatever part of the push to to change this up was just to have some variety rather than having all of the gts around here be the same scoring format with we run blackjack scoring and um, it's 80 battle points and 10 sports and 10 and 10 paint. And that's what it is. And the events are all like that. And they all use yeah. the same system. It's just like, I just wanted to do something different where it was like right, wrong or whatever. It's just different. Right. People may like that or not. And you can choose which events you go to based on whether you like the the way it's laid out or the score system or the way things are communicated or whatever it is you like about it. But I right. wanted to inject some different personality sure. just so there was an option. It's it's funny now that you say that, and with with Cresco's going back to the four person team format, dead a winner is going to be the normie event, right? Actually, you're right. Yeah, right. And it'll be the only normie event, which makes it makes it special in its own right. way. Right, it's specialness. Yeah. Yes. it's not <laughs> trying right. to be special. Right? That's right. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because yeah. yeah, Orktown's always got the big points value, right? So it's so it's right? different. Absolutely. Um, so they've all kind of got their own personality now, and I'm I'm kind of. Yeah, I'm really happy with where the events in the Northeast have landed. Me too. But, but for a while, it was very uh, copy and paste. Right. Um, and yeah. Is is there is there um, do the venue right? So this is the first time that you've run. So I ran my event at a game cafe. You ran your event at a game cafe. This right. seems like <laughs> it seems like the future <laughs> because you can't rent a ballroom anymore. Like. Is 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 this what the future of of t of of tournaments is going to be like? Do you think? Uh, I, mean, I mean, so I mean, it, that's a or very or very curious question. A curling club. Yeah, you know. Yeah, the cur- the curling club, and I don't know what we'll see what the curling club is like, but I know the part of the problem is there was an outlay of money for the curling club yeah. for Fork Town, and you know, <laughs> if people don't show up, that's a problem. And yeah. like, I I you know, I hear stories about tos. 
spending lots of, you know, reaching deep into their own pockets to run GTs. And like, well, that's not something I'm doing. And no. it's not like, I, I don't know, I don't want to be cocky. It's not like I can't afford it necessarily. It's like, why would, I, why would I do right. that? It doesn't make sense. Like, I'm not, uh, I'm not here to service the community. Um, it's, You're it's, already giving it's, your time, right? Like, exactly, right. exactly. So if I have to make a financial commitment and like decide between um i don't know my kids doing something versus me running a gaming event that's a no-brainer no gaming event so so moving to the game store is makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways it's interesting that we both found game stores that have cafes on site though with i I gotta convince my dude to get ice cream that's all i left there on the drive home and i was like milkshakes man they were so good right yeah so so the store was really was really great though Uh, i um I, so I moved to, to the Boston area about five years ago. Uh, gosh, be closer to six years ago pretty soon. Yeah. Um, and when I, I continued to run GTs in Connecticut, where I, where I had uh, lived prior, uh, you know, where, where Greg is from and stuff. And that just became a real burden for me to do stuff there. Part of it, not that the store was a, like the store we were running it at and the, the hotel beforehand were fine. Um, but I just didn't have a relationship there anymore. I wasn't around. I wasn't available. I couldn't like just pop over to see how things were doing. Um, so that became a little bit challenging and I decided it was time to move it closer to me since, you know, I'm the, I got all the gear and run on the event. Right. Um, so I found this store, which had just opened last year and I was like, Oh, I could run an event here because it's, it's right. It's a big store. It's giant. It's big. Um, they've got a lot of event space. Um, high ceilings, a lot of tables, uh, and then the obviously the, the food on site and stuff is really convenient. So so I went in and talked to them and originally the guy was like the owner was like, listen man, I don't know you. You just showed up off the street. You're like, hey, I wanna I wanna rent your your game store basically. <laughs> right. Um and I was like, yeah, that's cool. I I get it. You know, he's he you know you're running uh, magic events, right? Magic's the moneymaker for game stores in a lot of cases. All cases, I guess. Um, he's like, listen, you're cutting into my magic tables for that weekend. So like, I got to know you're actually going to show up. You're going to run an event that aligns with my company's values and like the, the, the type of thing that I want to see happening in my store. That's good for the community and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, that's cool. I get it. So we kind of negotiated a little bit and decided on like a small, doing a smaller event that was going to be more of like a trial run. And, and it, it totally worked out really well in the end. Um, that's good. Yeah, they got us everything they needed. You know, the tables were all set up. Um, again, the store was really easy to work with in terms of just like, you know, doing the, the price support. They got us in early so we could set up ahead of time and stuff. Um, so it was it was good. And then when I left at the end of the day, the owner was 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 uh, super happy. He was like, this was great. You know, you guys were super respectful. Everybody looked like I had a good time. Um, and they said, uh, let's get semantic product in here. Woo. So, amazing. Huge I was that's like, cool. for a store that's a, basically a GW Magic store, and they said, "Yeah, I'll give you a whole, I'll give you a whole vertical, like an entire that's wall for Mantic products." Um, I said, "Get some rule books in there, and maybe some army boxes, and then I'll come run a, like a Learn to Play Kings of War day or something." Like, I'm not going to do that unless if you don't have the rule books on the shelf, at least, right? Because there's no point in me trying to get people to play the game if, if that's. But if you got some product here, yeah, I'll come run like a demo day, and so you know we're going to try to get a thing going. Um, around here, so we'll see. How That's it goes. cool. That is so cool. Because I'm, I'm kind of inspired by what you were able to do in Albany, Mike. Now that you had a place 
you're able to turn it into something, but you needed a, you need like a home base. Yeah. And it can't be somebody's basement. No. Cause then they have to be there. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's, I, I don't want to have to be there every time two other guys want to get a game in. Right. You know? So right. yeah, it gives them the flexibility and the freedom. Right. It's yeah. It's, it's a big deal. Um, so yeah, I, I, I actually am not the, okay. So there's a difference between going to crossroads and being like, it's a lock and load, dude. Like we're not leaving here and everybody cracks out the bottles on Friday night and it's just totally a madhouse, right? Totally different. Totally yep. different, totally different atmosphere. And I actually think that's okay. Right. I actually think that's okay. You know, in the, I wanted in the to, to pause really quick actually, and just say, how much of a testament to the community and the players that a store would take a risk on buying product after one event at their store, right? Right. Like, like I, I just really want to emphasize that's amazing <laughs> because there's a lot of miniature games there, and I'm sure there there's are. a lot of people yeah. looking to use space. Um, and probably just I work in a public space. I deal with people asking to use space every day of my life and the number of times we have people just bail or not follow through on the commitments or like use right. things you know incorrectly and granted this is you know a smaller segment of the public but it's still a very similar field so i think that's a testament to to the king's award in the community as a whole that someone would see one event of ours and be like let's get this product in we need to get more of these people here right right and i, I you know i don't want to slag 40k or other events but i would imagine that it's like, wow, there were no arguments. And everybody, the loudest guys in there were laughing. Yeah, they were like, having they were having fun and having a right? good time. Yeah. And and so like this this store in, in particular, right? Like they did uh they called me um like the week before the event. They were like, Hey, listen, I don't know if this person crosses over into your community, but we had to ban somebody from the 40k community recently. If they play your event, they're not allowed in the store anymore. So like if they signed up, they can't come. Um, so like that, that's that happens <laughs> so. wow right so not to um you know segue back to talking about me but, but you should <laughs> when, when, let's, let's talk we, about me let's take it about <laughs> jake 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 won crossroads and i still haven't heard the end of it so just please continue. <laughs> let's go right so i get i'm not gonna go blow uh by blow through my games but i i do want to mention a couple of things so you know, I played uh, Force of Nature with Forces of the Abyss Allies, which is a, a variation on what I've played since third edition came out when I've used Forces of Nature. Uh, it was 1995 points, and I'll read my list in a second. Um, and yeah, I didn't come first in battle, but I came third in battle, is what John said. And I you, was I was on the top, top, table, on the top table Yeah, in the last the round. Show. I was pretty yeah. much on the top one or two tables the whole, uh, the whole event the first round yeah the, the, whole, the whole event um so i'm gonna read my list and then I, i'll talk a little bit about why i think i did significantly better in terms of my games results than than the past like two years that i've used this army um if that makes sense yeah i like i like some of that so it's a regiment of salamander primes a regiment of centaur brace striders with a frenzied otter two regiments of four shamblers, a horde of earth elementals with the brew of sharpness, a greater earth elemental, a glade walker druid with shroud of the saint, surge eight and ring of harmony, a tree herder, a forest warden with the inspiring talisman, 
And then for the forces of nature allies, it's a horde of Molochs with the despoiler champion upgrade and an abyssal fiend. So the, the three things that really stood out to me over the weekend as being the defining things as to why I was able to win games that I maybe wouldn't have won in the past. One, the change to the Molochs where they, the spoiled champion upgrade used to give them fearless and brutal, but now it gives them vicious and brutal and vicious is insanely good. Uh, it's when so you have reliable. 18 attacks hitting on threes with crushing two. Yeah. Yes. So the Molochs, you know, they're like a fragile hammer unit because they're only defense four, but they have higher nerve with 16, 18. They do have regen five up and they do have fury. Um, and I've got the right chaff pieces in the army to kind of deliver them into melee. And that's generally, uh, you know, what happened is they would die but they would go down swinging and usually take something juicy with them. Um, And that they were always good when I've been using them, but the vicious is just like, you know, it, it, it really makes a big difference. Um, The second thing, and I know I have spoken about this before is the glade Walker Druid, just being able to cast two spells a turn and have elite on those spells is amazing when we played it was infuriating so yes it is (laughs) right (laughs) oh my god right all the wounds just disappearing i'm like oh come on yeah you're you're casting (laughs) heal six with elite uh up to two times a turn you can't hit the same target but uh twice but you could do it on two different ones you're or you're mixing that in with surge eight uh, which you can either do again twice on two different targets, or you could do one surge, one heal. Uh, as long as these are targeting elemental units with the elemental keyword, which a lot of things in the list have. Um, so that's the second one, just like basically having two casters in that one caster yeah. is incredibly efficient. And then the third thing is uh, they all mocked me for it, but the brew of sharpness <laughs> on the earth elementals. Um, I've been using these earth elementals forever. They rarely die. I lost them once over the whole weekend. Um, but generally they spend the game like something hits them and then they stand there and they minorly annoy it back. And at the end of the game, we're both still sitting there. Um, 17 extra hits in our game because of that damn item. Yeah. (laughs) You counted it? We counted it. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, we did because it the argument often comes up is like, well, you're paying 45 points, which is a lot. I 100% agree. Um and if you look at it on average, 18 attacks when you go from hitting on fours to hitting on threes, that's only giving you three extra hits, right? Cuz fours would be nine hits, threes would be 12 on average. Yep. Um but like we saw in my game with Mike, where he had a faster army than usual, and I've got Surge. I got those Earth Elementals into combat on turn two. Right. And they were just right. wailing on orcs for the majority of the game. And so to net me 17 extra points of uh, extra hits, not that they all converted to points of damage. They might as well if so. I had a lot of defense four. So yeah, yeah it was, <laughs> you did. Right. Um, it was it was quite good. It was quite good. Yeah. 
it it really it opens it up and gives me another unit that can actually kill stuff um which and that's my army kind of desperately needs right i was going to say too like hitting on threes might not sway the average hits much but what it does is it gives you far less swing like fours are very swingy but when you have pathfinder and three suddenly it's like yeah i can count on this doing this pretty much every time right yeah and so you know that's a 265 point unit which is essentially the cost of the horde of molochs um and they're not doing the same damage output but they're also surviving the game and doing it a a respectable amount of damage. So those couple of changes, some just to the rules and one to me, you know, playing around with the items to fit that in, I think all of a sudden made my army click in a way that it wasn't quite clicking for the past two years. That's interesting. It's really not a huge change, but I guess it's just the way it comes together. It takes a little bit. It it, it yeah. really just it, it pushes things over from eh to huh. And right. Then, I mean, it, yeah. That's all it takes. Also, like any GT win, though, there's a little bit of uh, matchups. There's a little bit of the terrain placement. There's a little bit of dice. So, like, it it's a confluence of these things, kind of scenario. Yeah, kind yep. of coming together o- along with your play and the army you chose and all that stuff, right? Because you could you could have. Um, you know, come up against a hard counter and just run a tough game, but you didn't. So it it, it kind of works. You, you, like Jake was saying, when you were on Crossroads, right? Like you need, it all has to come together for you to do Yeah, 100%. Right? Yes. Well, I will say, so the luck, I've always heard about this. Oh, you know, you win on the GT, you get you get a, some, some luck in some of the right places. So <laughs> my round two game was against Chris Murphy and his Basileans. And, um, I had out deployed him, which we both realized (laughs) as we were starting the first turn. Um, So that was, that was a big advantage. Um, But, uh, and and, you know, that was, that that was not due to luck. That was sort of an error on his part. And uh, me thinking maybe a little further ahead of where the the movements were going to go. Um, but where the luck came in was then because of the misdeployment, I was able to stack more um, pressure in essentially two thirds of the battlefield while the other third was being delayed. Uh, so I had an advantage and I pressed that advantage. And part of it was just the forest warden just, you know, charging into the front of a horde of ogre palace guard with a staying stone just to hold them up for a turn. So they couldn't assist their buddies who were getting beat on pretty good, uh, you know, not too far away. And I did two points of damage and I boxcars wavered. <laughs> that that whole tactic you're just talking about, Greg, about the um, just like I just want to delay and hold things up long enough on one in one area of the board so I can push uh, an advantage in the other. That is oftentimes the key to victory in so many of the games. Oh, certainly. Right. It's just like, can I keep you there long enough so that you can't get to my main line? Even if I lose that flank, it doesn't matter. And that is that, that like, that's the kind of the push that's huge in deployment of how much do you commit to that delay tactic? And then can you win the, the center or the flank or the other side or whatever? 
after you've given up those units. Unit true. For units. Totally true. Right. Yeah. So that was a pretty pivotal uh, moment in that game. It was also hilarious. Chris in good, took it like a champ and was like bemoaning in good nature. And I was screaming in joy. And I ran over to John, who was talking to someone irrelevant. <laughs> and, I, and I was trying to share this moment of exultation with John. And he was not paying attention. And I grabbed him <laughs> by the shoulders and said, John, pay attention to me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's amazing like trying to make a rules call on another game or something and Greg is <laughs> screaming at me <laughs> I'm glad you're excited but I can't do it with you right now I know right <laughs> so yeah. awesome though yeah so anyway I thought it was it was a great event um, I had a really good time I think everybody had fun um, I It'll be interesting to see where we go with, uh, you know, score systems and personalities of tournaments and stuff going forward. Um, but the next event up we've got is Orktown, which is a totally different personality. It'll be fun in its own right. Um, should be should be really good. So awesome. That's gonna be great. So I have one last thing to share on the cast before we call it an episode. Um, so I'm sharing with the public, all of our listeners, because John Gregg and Mike already know this, but I'm going to be stepping down at least for a while um, from Unplugged Radio. I'm taking a break from content creation, just in general for Kings of War, to focus that creative time and effort into some other stuff. Um, so this is sort of my announcement slash thanks for listening for the last, geez, eight, seven years. <laughs> like, to me, the, the podcast is still going on. Um, Greg, Rossi, and John are still going to be doing it. Uh, it just will be without me for at least a while. Um, and it's been great, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing what Kings of War and just hobbying in general is like without multiple content creation responsibilities because I was realizing that I've been between the podcast and Dash 28 and regional organizing, which I'm still going to do a little bit, but not as much. Um, I've been doing that basically the entire time I've been out of grad school. So, yeah. See, it is no small effort and uh, all the work you've put into creating these things has been... Very much appreciated, I know, by by the people on this cast and, and the people listening. And you might not always get that feedback and feel like all the work and effort is being appreciated, but I, I promise you that it is. Totally. And so you definitely deserve a break. Yeah, well, thank you so much, guys. Um, and I'll be looking forward to actually being able to listen to episodes without hearing my own voice on it, because I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you're just making me think we need a Jake sound pad. And I'll just <laughs> push and you'll say things. Oh, <laughs> that is a good idea.
<laughs> you are a genius. We'll be like, I thought he left the cast. He's also talked about that anime before. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, I think there'll be decidedly less anime discussions going on going forward. That's why he had to sneak it in today, even exactly. though it wasn't yep, on the agenda. <laughs> Is Jess available to podcast with us every once in a while? <laughs> if if you want, if you want, you know, unrelated ranting and, and insults, I'm sure she would be happy to provide. She's she's, she's <laughs> Horning in on my thing, but I think we can ever on, right? But yeah, and I, you know, just as a parting thing, thank you so much, guys, for basically having an awesome past seven years of podcasting. It's been very surreal, um, sort of growing closer to you all as friends because you were just people that I thought was cool in the community, and you know, right. we knew each other. But the podcast has really taken that up from like cool friends in the community to like some of my best friends so it's been awesome i uh i cannot thank you enough dude for for getting me on here let me on here and then just just getting to know me right you're you're an awesome bro so and this is not the end obviously right right i'll on. still be in the community I mean, i'll still be playing like yeah, yeah. But I, I i give i give you i give you less than a year before you're back on here again <laughs> maybe, maybe as a guest <laughs> Maybe as a guest, right. maybe, you know, once 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 we figure out how to edit and run everything, I think that you'll be on a little more. Right? I definitely. We'll you know, I just need to win another tournament, and you guys have the perfect excuse to force me on, right? Like, force. Well, are you, are you coming to Orktown? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but awesome guys, thank you. Um, and I guess this has been a, another awesome episode of Unplugged Radio. 